0: Good morning, new community. It's been a while. The story, the story. Uh, One of my dear friends always comments about my eerie ability to remember tidbits of information shared eons ago. And what he doesn't know is that the secret to my memory skills lies in the story, I am so drawn to story, to narrative. I have this thing about wanting to know the whole story. When did it happen? Where were you standing? What was the reaction of the bystanders? What was your reaction to the news? Tell me the story. As a story is being unfolded from your mouth, it is positioned on the stage of my imagination in full costume with scene, scene lights and a stage set. When a story is shared, I have this uncanny ability to remember intrinsic details and how they fit together. Phone numbers, birthdays, anniversaries, the ages of my godkids, forget it. I don't remember. But I can remember a story. I can look at someone I've only met a few times and not remember their name. But if we had conversation that included them sharing from their story... It's kind of freaky. I might not be able to remember their name, but I can remember their story. There is something about a story and the way its narrative unfolds that draws me in. And so this sermon series that has given us the task of telling God's story is exciting to me. So far, the trajectory of the story has allowed us a bird's-eye view of the way God's creation, of the way uh, God created the landscape, the vegetation, the animals, and humanity. We have learned about the desire of humanity to be like God's which led to the fall and the entry of sin into the world. The next chapter of our sermon series focused on Israel's election as the beloved of God. And today we will peer into the story of Jesus and talk about how it plays a starring role in God's story. So, the text that I am going to use to frame um, our storytelling today about how Jesus' story connects with the story of God, I'm going to be using the book of Philippians. Um, it will not appear on the screen. No worries, Amanda. <laughs> it will not appear on the screen. But if you can grab your Bibles and um, scroll or flip to Philippians chapter 2, we will read verses 5 through 11. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, and if you could stand to honor the reading of God's word. I'll read if you can follow along with me. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus who, though he was in the form of man, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave being born in human likeness and being found in human form. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every other name. And so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. This is the word of the Lord. You can have your seats As I open us in prayer, God, I thank you for this moment that you have given us to break your word, to break the bread of life. Father, as uh, we tread upon the waters of your word, God, I pray that we would be refreshed by living water. God, for those who are thirsty today, I pray that you would give them something good to drink. For those that are hungry today, oh God, I pray that you would fill their empty souls with good things. God, I pray today that you would hide me behind the empty cross, that Jesus might be the center of all attraction. God, I pray Pray that you would take this bread of life and that you would break it like you broke the little boy's lunch to feed the 5,000. I believe that you can take one more so, oh God, that I speak and have it to speak to the very individual natures and situations of every body and mind and spirit that is present in this place. And so because I know that you are faithful and that you can do it, God, I ask you to do it right now in the name of Jesus to reach every situation, to reach every heart, to touch every mind, to comfort every soul, to love every being, to love us as your creation, that today we might know that we are the beloved of God. Today we might know we have encountered a Christ. We thank you and believe you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The story story. My Sankofa experiences of 2014, which you have heard me reference a lot, sparked a desire in me to know more about my ancestry, my story. For those that don't know, the Sankofa journey is an experience of exploring race relations an experience of touring the South with a cross-racial partner while visiting instrumental locations of the civil rights movement with the end goal of racial reconciliation and understanding. And actually, Marquita just took the latest trip this past weekend, so she is full of uh, racial reconciliation and knowledge and all that information if you uh, want to have more information about that experience. The beginning of the Sankofa journey always challenges you with the question, how do you racially self-identify and why? Many of us on the journey could say we identify as black or white, but could not trace a line from self to origin of self. But there were some particular Particularly, I remember my covenant colleagues of Swedish descent, which is the cultural group that founded the Evangelical Covenant Church, of which our church is a member. And these colleagues could easily rehearse their trail from beginnings in Sweden to American immigration to American immersion. These were stories of humble beginnings, stories of striving for freedom, stories of culture and tradition passed down. And with an intimation of jealousy, I wanted to know my story. But many of us from African descent mourn at the thought of trying to trace our heritage beyond the southern United States of America. Because there in the South is where many believe our story begins. There in the south is where a tragic interlude played out, but it is not the beginning of my story. The story of my people really began on the plains and coastal regions of African lands. But the chains of slavery subjected my story in the annals of history, dumped it in the shark-infested waters of the Atlantic Ocean, and forbid us to remember our native tongues, our cultural dances, our tribal communal practices that instigate a weenness instead of a meanness. The shackles on our bodies and the shackles on our minds forced us to forget our regal heritage. For me, there is no traceable lineage to discover amidst the muck and mire of enslavement, rape, and genocide. But even this darkness, it's a part of my story. It's a part of my story that needs to be embraced. The story. The story. This desire to discover retrievable parts of my more immediate story invigorated me after these Sankofa journeys. So, in March of this year, I went down to Mobile, Alabama, where my father's family of origin maintains its roots. There's a 14 acre plot of land on the outskirts of Mobile where our story continued to take shape. I can't say it's where the story began because it began long before. My grandfather met my grandmother just like the story of God begins long before Jesus walked the earth. This journey south had a very specific goal of researching my father's mom's side of the family. Um, It doesn't have much documentation after a fire destroyed my grandmother's home some years after her death. So the research required investigative work, which I love, I'm a mystery loving who done it kind of girl. And so the crumbs of information that led me to each subsequent family discovery intrigued me and held my attention. There were dead ends to mourn in cemeteries with unmarked graves that might hold deceased kinfolk. My spirit was grieved and angered as I watched the Confederate flags, signs of racist hate still alive with the pulse of the wind flying over the graves of Confederate soldiers just two grave plots (laughs) away from my ancestors. But there were also moments of delight. I found historians who were full of information and were happy to share Family members and strangers who relish the opportunity to remember the story. The story. Why are we emphasizing the story this summer? Why does all of my story matter? Why does all of your story matter? Not just the pristine parts, but the totality of your narrative. Why does the story of God, the story of Jesus, matter? Because all of the intricate parts of these stories intersect and have an impact on each other. Because there is no need for redemption if there are no parts of your story that need redeeming. Because there is no need for restoration if there is not a part of your life that needs to be supernaturally restored. Because something about the story of Jesus should have an impact on my story and an impact on your story. The scripture we read this morning is an invitation. It is an invitation to participate in the story of God. So today, as I share the story of Jesus, I wonder, I wonder if there are parallel themes to be discovered in your life. I wonder if the story of Jesus intersects with your story. I wonder if the story of God impacts how you choose to do life in this world. So imagine we're sitting around a campfire or a barbecue grill. And what usually happens? You're telling stories, right? So today it is my task to just tell stories about Jesus, to interweave the life of Jesus with the story of God with the story of you and the story of me. So I would do that just by telling a few stories about Jesus that help us to connect him to the story of God, to the story of us today. So let's start with the miraculous birth of Jesus. What was miraculous about it? Joseph's boo, Mary, came to him to share some good news. They have not officially exchanged wedding vows and consummated their marriage, but she is pregnant. Joseph hears her cockamamie story about visions of angels and bearing the son of God in her womb. He loves her, but he can't bear the embarrassment of an adulterous wife. He makes a private decision to quietly cancel the engagement and cut his losses. But lo and behold, he has his own vision of angels that tell him to redeem, to restore the relationship with his wife, because in fact, she will bear the son of God. And Joseph's family line has been elected to be the ancestry of the Christ child. Joseph experienced his mind transforming and the deepening of his faith. And then there were other miracles along the way. There was Mary's cousin, Elizabeth, who was a witness and signpost to what was come from, to come from Mary. Her cousin would bear a son who ironically would also be a witness and a signpost. He was a witness and signpost for Jesus who gave prophetic utterance of Jesus's nearness. And then something else miraculous happened. Creation, even creation became a witness to the miracle birth by posting a special star in the sky to identify the location and guide believers to the Christ child. There was also the miracle of provision in the one who made space for a desperate couple to have a baby in their inn in spite of their full house. There is also the miracle in Mary's submission to God's plan for her life. Mary said, I am your servant. Let this strange thing that I do not understand be done unto me as you have said. Where was the miracle in the birth of Jesus? It was in the story. God showed up throughout the miracle making process of the story. God did not just utter the prophetic word and then leave Mary and Joseph to figure it out. No, God attended to them in the journey. And that is a word for somebody today. Sometimes a miracle is not only in the destination. The miracle is not only in the end goal, but sometimes the miracle it's in the journey. Sometimes the miracle, it's in the process, in the whole of the story. I bid you today to pay attention to your life because you may miss most of the miracle if you try and bypass the process of arriving there. God is making a miracle for someone in the story. Keep reading, keep watching, keep listening, keep waiting. God is working a miracle. Jesus' actual birth was miraculous, but his story is one of progressive miracle. The miracle of the journey is in the story God is writing. The miracle of the journey is in the story God is writing. Be careful. Be careful not to get caught up in what looks like a setback because it's only a setup for the rest of the story to be told. The miracle of the journey is in the story God is writing. Then, and then in the story of God, I see legacy building. Jesus spent his life teaching and learning in the Jewish synagogues and became a popular preacher of his time. He spent his time telling stories, teaching people how to love one another and boldly speaking truth to powerful forces that opposed him. Jesus lived this life without any sin to attach to his name. Jesus was working on building a legacy. The story of God, you see, is all about legacy building. Yes, there was Moses to lead the people, but the journey was all about the salvation of the Israelites. God's chosen beloved people. And when Moses died, there was Joshua to take his place in leading the people. I love that God is in the business of building a legacy. Jesus took on this task of leaving a legacy. He built a team knowing that ushering in the kingdom of God would take a whole lot of work that he could not accomplish on his own. So, Jesus' first assignment in full time ministry was to choose some disciples to create a legacy that would live beyond him. This is an ultimate sign of his servanthood, to create a destiny that would prepare to continue the work of serving people's needs and function without him. Jesus planted a seed in the disciples that he prayed would see a harvest for his investment in them. He lost one along the way in Judas that bore rotten fruit, but that even made a way for others to join and become a part of the mission of God. And then ultimately God's plan involved choosing to use us, as his hands and his feet to do the work of building the kingdom of God. This work is not about keeping the goodness of God to ourselves, but about passing it on to others who are thirsty for living water and hungry for the bread of life. It is about leaving a legacy of the goodness and faithfulness of God to the next generation. And so my question to you this morning is how do you see the work of your hands in what way is your work and my work that integrity with which we serve others or the ultimate fruit of our work in what way is it leaving a legacy for the kingdom of God God's story is about legacy building leaving a legacy. Now, these are beautiful pieces of the story, the story of God, but there's also sadness in the story of God. And so now we'll turn our minds and our hearts to the execution of Jesus. Today, as we remember the story of the police brutality suffered by 18-year-old Michael Brown at the hands of Darren Wilson one year ago today, my thoughts are drawn to a powerful piece of art at the Michael Brown Memorial exhibit. It's called Confronting Truths, Wake Up, and it's located and being shown at Gallery Gouchard on 47th Street, as Michelle announced to us earlier. And I encourage us all um, to even come together and go as uh, groups, as a church family, um, to take part in observing and meditating on the the art creations that are are there. Art has a way of telling a story that is, is too deep for words. Artful storytelling can communicate deep groans and moans of the soul that words would strain to articulate. And so I invite you to take part in that exhibit. And so the, the piece of artwork uh, that struck me most uh, in this exhibit um, is a, a piece of art that um, it was a, a huge box that was like a huge framed picture, and inside of it was red uh, velvet, and it contained a crucifix of Jesus, And over the face of Jesus was a green um, cloth, so to speak, that was secured to the face of Jesus. And in the space where the crucifix would say on a piece of wood, here lies Jesus, king of the Jews. Instead, the piece of wood says, I can't breathe. In front of this art piece, there was a kneeler, like you see in a, would see in a Catholic church. And I, as I observed this piece of art, I couldn't help but feel the contradiction of Christian worship. Of the execution of Jesus, we, we, we worship the execution of Jesus on Sunday, While humans continue to crucify one another in real life, Monday through Saturday. I can't breathe. It reads. These words are reminiscent of the words spoken by Eric Gardner. As he was held in a chokehold by police officers and died on a sidewalk. I couldn't help but equate the asphyxiation of Jesus and the asphyxiation of Michael Brown as they bled out before a crowd of witnesses to their death. I imagine that like at the cross of Jesus, there were varied opinions in these crowds. He's such a liar, a false prophet. He deserves to die. He's such a thug, i.e., nigga, worthless black kid. And there's a rumor that he just stole $8 worth of merchandise from the convenience store. He deserves to die. But remember, he raised Lazarus from the dead. He was a high school student on his way to college. Why are all these people crying out and mourning for this worthless life? Murmurs in the crowd. What do you want to have for dinner today? Murmurs in the crowd. It's a shame Joseph and Mary let that good Jesus kid get radical like that. Murmurs in the crowd. We've been here for six hours. Would this rejective prophet just die already? Murmurs in the crowd. It's been four hours and my baby's body has been exposed in this blazing sun on the hot pavement. Please let me hold him. Murmurs from a grieving mama. I wish the medical examiner would hurry up and get here. My shift is over soon. Why is the sky getting so dark? This feels weird. Whoa, surely this man must have been the sun. I imagine some of you might find it offensive for me or this artist to draw a parallel between the death of Jesus and the deaths of victims of police brutality. So I want to paint a picture that might help to frame my point of view. Verse seven of our passage tells us that Jesus could have exploited his powerful position of deity. It says, but instead he emptied himself, being born in human likeness, right? But instead, he emptied himself, being born in human likeness. Jesus chose the likeness of humanity in order to accomplish salvation for our souls. He could have come as a thunderous God riding on a cloud of fire and wiped sin from the earth, But the Bible says that Jesus chose the likeness of humanity in order to accomplish salvation for my soul. So as I study my own cultural context and see parallels in the destruction of Jesus and the reign of terror on my people in this country, this is what I see. I see that the likeness of Jesus is not being posed, imposed on Michael Brown to insinuate that he is a martyred saint. But the likeness of Michael Brown is being imposed on Jesus at Jesus' choice. Because he chose to empty himself of his divinity at Jesus's choice to become one of us, at Jesus's choice to live like one of us, and ultimately at Jesus's choice to die like one of us, Michelle, I don't think they got it. I'm going to say it again. I see that the likeness of Jesus is not being imposed on Michael Brown to insinuate that he is a martyred saint, but the likeness of Michael Brown is being imposed on Jesus at Jesus's choice to empty himself of his divinity at Jesus's choice to become like one of us at Jesus's choice to live like one of us, and ultimately at Jesus' choice to die like one of us. You see, God subjected God's self to the hatred and violence that humanity is sinful enough to dole out upon its fellow humans. I used to read the death of Jesus as like, you know, God sent Jesus his son to die on a cross so we could worship crucifixes. And I can say, yeah, Jesus did that for me. Jesus died on a cross, death on a tree. God sent him so I could worship a crucifix and say that God sent his son to die on a cross, death on a tree. God did that for me. That was my view of what it meant for Jesus to come into the world. What was so special about death on a cross? Nothing. Common criminals died. On a cross. Common criminals died this way. Pastor Michelle, I think I'm messing with somebody's theology, but I'll leave that for you to clean up later. <laughs> Nothing was special about death on a tree. The nobility lies in who chose to allow himself to die in such a common way. My deeper reality now is that Jesus merely subjected himself and committed himself to living fully in human form. So that means Jesus is saying, I'm going to be fully human. I'm going to be fully human when I'm preaching and teaching and healing. I'm going to be fully human when I'm turning water into wine and performing miracles. I'm going to be fully human when I'm raising dead folk and being celebrated by the people. And... I'm going to remain fully human when they turn on me and allow their jealousy and hatred to execute me on a cross and leave me to bleed uncovered in the street for four hours. Wait, oh, hold on, wrong story. And let me die noosed as strang fruit hanging from from southern oak trees. Wait, sorry, wrong story. I mean, rough ride me in the back of a police van until my spinal cord snaps. Wait, I'm sorry, that's... The wrong story. I keep getting my references confused. The parallels are so great. i mean and overpower me until death in a chokehold for a minor street offense of selling loose cigarettes. Oh, wait, wait, wait. I got it twisted. I am going to remain human when they watch me asphyxiate. I'm going to remain human when they suffocate me i'm gonna remain human when i choke to death as i hang from a tree lie in a street die in a police van crying out i'm thirsty god crying out in lament my god my god why have you forsaken me ultimately crying out i can't breathe I can't breathe in the injustice. I can't inhale the racist tenets of this American culture. I can't breathe. I can't inhale the narcissistic superiority venom of white privilege. I can't breathe. I can't inhale... I can't inhale the militarized terror of neighborhoods where people of color live. I can't breathe. I can't inhale imbalanced scales of justice that tip in the favor of those who both judge and jury. Today, as we memorialize the death of 18-year-old child, Michael Brown, who was murdered in the street because he dared to oppose a man with white
1: skin. As we memorialize his death. I can't
0: breathe. And so I came. I came to suffocate with you. And so I came. I came to asphyxiate beside you and so I came I came to suffer among you and so I came I came to lament with your broken community and so I came I came to give you a promise of hope in the midst of darkness and despair and so I came I came to promise you the oil of gladness in exchange for your mourning and so I came I came to give you joy I came to give you hope that joy will come in the morning. And so I came. I came. I came as Emmanuel. I came as God with you. I came as I am that I am. I came as a God presence in the very face of your suffering. And so I came. And so I came. And I will continue to come, because I
1: can't breathe. Please bow your heads. And- So today we pray, come, Lord Jesus, come, because we
0: can't breathe. Come, Lord Jesus, come, because we're tired of inhaling injustice. Today we pray, come, Lord Jesus, come. Come with healing in your wings. Come, Lord. Jesus, come. Come with all power in your hands. Come, Lord. Jesus, come. Come with swift peace. Come, Lord. Jesus, come. Come with your rod and staff of comfort and guidance. Come, Lord. Jesus, come. Come and heal our land. Come, Lord. Jesus, Come, come, giving us the breath of new life as we struggle
1: to breathe. At the foot of the cross, I pray. Jesus, remember us. Jesus, remember us. At the foot of the cross, I pray. Jesus, remember us. Jesus, remember us. Foot of the cross. I pray, Jesus, remember us, Jesus, remember us, sing with me, at the foot of the cross, I pray, Jesus, remember us. Jesus, remember us. At the foot of the cross, I pray. Jesus, remember us. Jesus, remember us. Amen. Amen.